Hello, and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. This book is the most quoted prophetic book in the last phase of Christ's life. This book is the most, apart from Ezekiel, the most quoted and influential book in the book of Revelation, the closing book of the Bible. As described in the Old Testament, Israel did some hard yards, spending 70 years in exile in Babylon, much to their disgust. But as God often demonstrates, hard yards can oftentimes be an essential preparation for what's to come. Some lessons are uncomfortable to learn, aren't they? And let's face it, who is really a fan of character building? Tonight, Dr. Corbett is continuing in a series on the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. To enlighten some of our thinking, let's join Dr. Corbett now for Zechariah part two. We're going to continue through the book of Zechariah, which I'll be going through the next part and over the course of this month I will. And, and I mentioned that one of the reasons is I made it my mission to preach through the whole Bible and that is to take each book and, and explain it and hopefully help you to get a greater understanding of it. And that to me is one of my major roles as a pastor. I'm not here to necessarily make you happy, although I, I hope that's a byproduct of what we do. I'm here to help you to grow, to know Christ, to be able, as particularly for me, growing is what you do when two things are happening in your life. One, everything's going really, really well. And secondly, when everything's going really, really not well. That to me is what it looks like to be a mature Christian if you walk with Christ in both of those contexts. Here's a question I, I need some feedback from you about. Is there anyone here and you've lived all your life in Tasmania and you have learnt, intentionally learnt, at a conversational level, another language. Is there anyone? Lex, what have you learnt? Rubbish. <laughs> you have not, firstly, Lex, you have not spent all your life here and learnt another language. And secondly, English, I don't know about. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Is there anyone? Yes, Jerry. Italian. Comesta. Oh, grazie. <laughs> All right. So here's the problem we've got. Problem is that we in Tasmania have no need to learn another language. There's no need. And did you realise that most of the people in most of the world speak a minimum of two languages? Victor, how many languages do you speak? Do you Four. Oh. Hausa? Uruba. Uruba. English. English. Zambia. Zambia. And what else? And Zambia. That's five. Can't you count, Victor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, change. All right. Now, Victor, don't want to burst your bubble, Victor, but that's not exceptional. Where you live, no doubt, people speak more than one language. Or where you've come from in, in uh, southern Nigeria, is that right? Southern Nigeria. That's normal. I want you to hear what I'm saying when you're going, what on earth has this got to do with Zechariah? It's got everything to do with it, and I'll, I'll draw the connection in a moment. Are you saying we're dumb? 
I'm saying that if you have lived all your life in Tasmania and you have taken the time to learn another language, you have gone to a great amount of effort to do that without necessarily the need to, right? So I could ask another question similar to what Lex answered. How many have come here and learnt another language? And that's, that's a different story. I could also ask you how many have spent time overseas and you've learnt another language? Anyone in that category? Uh, Spanish? Alan, yes. Uh, do you, are you still conversational? Like, can, yep, huh. Muy bien, that's good. All right, someone else. Anyone, anyone? Learnt a language? Jerry, again. Polish. Really? Very good. Very good. All right, anyone else? Ah, Arendt. Yes. So you learnt that when you were living in Tasmania. You learnt that when you were living in, in Holland. Okay, so again, this is just illustrating my point. That my, and, and it was brought home to us when... We went to Euro Disney years ago, and there's these people that are working, you know, dressed as pirates or dressed as whatever at Euro Disney, and people come up to them, and Euro Disney, outside of Paris, people coming from all over the world to come to Euro Disney, and people just come up to them and just start speaking in their language. And these people who are on staff at Euro Disney would just start speaking back to them in their language. From a Tasmanian Australian point of view, this does your head in. Because it's like, that's got to be the hardest thing in the world, to learn how to conversationally speak in another language. And it is very, very difficult for us. And the reason it's difficult for us is because, A, we don't have to. We expect everyone else to speak what we call English. <laughs> but there are parts of the world where bilingual conversation is just now par for the core. That's just what happens. So you might think, well, not in America. Oh, you haven't been to America lately then. There are some parts of America where if you don't speak Spanish, Alan, in, Amer in the United States, you can't even transact, which might sound strange, but you'll find that Spanish is fast becoming the second most spoken language in the United States. So all of this to say that what I'm about to do in looking at Zechariah, carries with it some of the same difficulties that we have as Tasmanians trying to learn another language. In other words, the events of Zechariah happened two and a half millennium ago, 2,500 years ago. So it's way removed from us. Secondly, it relates to a culture that none of us are familiar with. None of us grew up in, I assume, in the Middle East, None of us have an acquaintance with what happened in this context, which was the Jews returning from exile. Some of those Jews remembered what happened when their city was destroyed. So my job is very, very difficult this morning. But my job is also very, very important. And here's why. Because God has ordained for us to understand this book. This book is the most quoted prophetic book in the last phase of Christ's life. This book is the most, apart from Ezekiel, the most quoted and influential book in the book of Revelation, the closing book of the Bible. So this is a pretty big deal, but we've got a challenge. So this morning, it's almost as if I'm going to try and teach you German this morning. If some of you go, I don't want to learn German, I don't care. 
That's the same sort of challenge I might have with some of you now as I try to explain why I think this book is pretty important. This is the book that described Christ, the Messiah, and we'll see this next week when we look at the Messiah in Zechariah. But this is the book that describes him coming as the, the conquering king who will conquer the world and that the world, all nations will come to him and submit to him. And we'll see a, a reference to that this morning in the aspect I'm going to look at. But it says he will enter into Jerusalem to take his rightful place on a donkey. And it's quoted. And that's why Jesus insisted on getting a colt the foal of a donkey to ride into Jerusalem on because it fulfilled this prophecy in Zechariah. And so there's all these things that are like, man, does your head in to think this is what God ordained. Now here's why I also think it's really important that we just have a think about what I'm going to share this morning because I run the great risk of upsetting quite a few of you. And the reason I might do that, not intentionally, but I might, is because you've been told something that you've never been challenged about. Again, what I mean by that is everything we hold dear as Christians is up for challenge. That means a skeptic, an atheist, someone of a different religion can challenge us and we should be able to go, we're up for the challenge. So here's what I hope will happen as I share this with you, that some of you will begin to see beyond our borders because the land of Israel is way beyond our borders. I mean, we are, apart from New Zealand, we are almost exactly as far away from Israel as you can get on this planet. I believe New Zealand, have you ever heard that, Alan? Is New Zealand is exactly opposite from the land of Israel. So we're pretty close. So we are so far removed from this. And we will read in Zechariah that it says, essentially, when we're going to marry this and then next week, we'll see that it talks about the coming Messiah being not just the God of Israel, but being the God of the whole earth. The God who will bring all nations into subjection to him. Now, I've heard, if you've got a mindset that's been conditioned to think that the world is going to get worse and worse and worse and then God's going to rapture us out of here before it gets too bad. If that bubble that you believe is made of soap, it is going to splat across your face this morning, so get ready for it. Because what I want to show you, I hope, just in glimpses, is that the world is not necessarily getting worse and worse and worse. And I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that... We're conditioned now by instant 24-hour newsfeed media. And you've got to ask the question, what are they going to put on the news? Happy, good stories all the time? No, they will find the worst that's happening in some of the most remote parts of the world and it's just constant, 24 hours, bad, bad, bad. And you just think, man, this world's going to hell in a handbasket. Whereas... If we could go to 30,000 feet, so to speak, and look at what's actually happened in the world. Do you know that there are more Christians alive today than there's ever been Christians before in the history of the world? Do you realize there are more Muslims coming to Christ now than ever before at any time in history? 
Do you realise that in China, at one point, the number of people coming to Christ was outstripping the birth rate? At one point in Brazil, the number of people converting to Christ outnumbered the birth rate 8 to 1. And the way the birth rate's going in some countries, that's not going to be hard into the future. Because the devil has convinced people that children are the problem. And if you want to have a happy life, whatever you do, don't have kids. Now, I know some of you are going, which is why in November, I'm going to be addressing some of those issues. But I want you to understand why I'm so concerned about this. And I want you to see that this is really important. And the reason is, because Zechariah is going to do exactly what Ezekiel did, exactly what Jeremiah did. He's going to say, this old covenant is coming to an end. Everything about the old covenant is going to be finished. Jeremiah said it. Ezekiel said it. Isaiah said it. They all said it. There is coming a new covenant. This old one will be done away with. Which is why last Sunday, I'm sitting here getting ready to open this Zechariah series. And someone sends me a text, and I guess well-meaning, saying, oh, could you mention to your church this great way to start the Yom Kippur celebrations? I'm thinking Yom Kippur, which is Hebrew for the Day of Atonement. I'm thinking, why on earth would I want people in our church celebrating a Jewish feast which Jesus has fulfilled and done away with? Why would I want to do that? But then it gets worse than that. There are people who are raising money by the millions of dollars to fund Jews to go back to Israel to help rebuild the temple, which means if you know anything about Jerusalem, there is actually something there where the temple site is. Al Aska Mosque. And if you're going to build a temple there, there's going to, I don't, oh, I, I don't think that's going to be pretty. And they are prepared to do whatever it takes to make it happen. And I remember, um, I don't want to speak, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to mention a name, but I remember in 1986 or 87, I saw who was then one of the, the most um, powerful television evangelists a very effective ministry at the time um, Jimmy Swaggart and I say this because a, a friend of mine went and worked for Jimmy Swaggart in America as well so he, he, was a, he was a good guy back in the day he had a couple of moral falls but put that aside in 1986 I saw him on his TV go to Israel kneel down beside an Israeli soldier who had a machine gun pointed at Palestinians put his arm around him and say, we're with you. And there was something in my, my young heart that said, there is something not right with wishing a soldier who is about to kill Palestinians. We're with you and praying for you in the sense that this is, this is a good thing. And I was like, this, I don't think that's what we Christians are about. And it was just odd. So, How are we doing? So Zechariah, this is the second part, part two, I introduced last week. This is the second part now, and it's about the destiny of Jerusalem and its temple. 
And the reason that this is so concerning for me is that there are Christians who say this, that if the Jews can reclaim their biblical borders, let's start with Jerusalem, because by the way, right now, the Jews do not control Jerusalem. I've heard people say, well, at least they control Jerusalem. No, they actually don't control Jerusalem. The capital of Israel is, well, Tel Aviv. And this is what people think. If the Jews can reclaim their biblical borders today and rebuild the temple, then Jesus can come back. And there's a reason why they would say it. The reason they would say it is because Zechariah says that when Messiah comes, he will enter the temple. And of course, if there is no temple today, then Jesus can't come back. This is the thinking. And I want to hopefully explain to you, this has cost tens of thousands of people their lives. And that's not understating it. So, Zechariah. Let me tell you a little bit about Zechariah. We know from the opening verse that he was the son of Berechiah and the grandson of Iddo. And we know that in that opening verse that those two men were priests. That means Zechariah was a priest. And this is not unusual either because he's a priest prophet. So was Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a priest prophet. So so was Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a priest prophet, although Ezekiel was sent into exile and Ezekiel never had the opportunity to exercise his priestly duty. What was his priestly duty? Well, when Ezekiel was sent over and maybe Zechariah, maybe Zechariah was born over there. In fact, almost certainly Zechariah was born in exile as a priest, part of the priestly line. These priests could never perform their central duty. What was their central duty and why was it impossible for them to perform it? Anyone know? Sacrifices, yes, that's part A of the answer. Part B is in the temple. It had to be in the temple. In fact, it was, it was unauthorised to happen anywhere else apart from the temple. And not just a temple, the temple in Jerusalem. It had to be in Jerusalem. So there are people today, and if you're into believing internet conspiracies and things, you will quickly find on Google that there are people breeding the red heifer uh, bullocks that in a, somewhere in America, ready for the temple to restart because that's the prescribed animal that has to be sacrificed in the temple regularly. So it couldn't happen. So you can imagine these priests in exile, Zechariah, he can't actually do what he's on this planet to do. He's a priest, he can't do it. So this would have been quite an emotional difficulty for him. So this is why it was doubly difficult for Israel's faithful Levitical priests to be in exile. They couldn't perform their duties and they longed for their homeland. They longed to be back at Jerusalem, God's holy city. But you know, God did something during the exile that could never have happened if they didn't go into exile. I was intrigued to hear Lynn pray for those people who have suffered loss and yet out of this loss, meaning and, and hope might come. And I think that's exactly what the gospel does for us, doesn't it? We sang the song, because of the cross of Christ, I live. I, I, I hope you get that. In other words, in your suffering, in your pain, in your anguish, Christ is still with you in it. He's with us in the fire. If you're into the 
gospel of prosperity, prosperity preaching, you, you, you're not going to enjoy much that happens here because we're into the gospel of truth and reality, which says that not everything's going to go well for you. And for these priests, not everything was going well for them. They were in exile. They were away from where they were. But God did something in the exile. Here's how God used the exile to prepare for the Messiah. Because when you think about it, the spiritual climate of Israel just before the exile was abysmal. They were, the priests were sexually immoral. The prophets denounced them for that. They were idolatrous. Jeremiah denounced them for that. They were practicing the that is, the citizens, were practicing human sacrifice to appease false gods. And it was just getting worse and worse and worse. This is not the platform for the Messiah to come. And so the exile, something happened. Here, I want to give you five things that happened during the exile that could not have happened unless God sent them into exile. And the, the whole big point here is that sometimes when we think God's not doing anything, anything in our lives, he's often doing the most in our lives. Here's the first thing that happened. The scriptures that you hold on your lap or you have on your device now, a fair chunk of them came about in the exile. Even, for example, what we consider to be the oldest book in the Bible was actually written down. Anyone know what the oldest book in the Bible is? The book of Job. You know, it wasn't written down before the exile. It was committed to text during the exile. The book of Proverbs, written during the exile. Song of Solomon, written during the exile. Ecclesiastes, written in the exile. The book of Ezekiel, written in the exile. All of these things. And then what the Jews did was they collected these sacred writings. And it was interesting to me how quickly the book of Jeremiah was recognised as scripture. In fact, Jeremiah became the heading for written by the prophets or spoken by the prophets. And we'll, we'll, we see that expression in the New Testament as, um, as was spoken by Jeremiah, when in fact it could have been one of the minor prophets, but it's attributed to Jeremiah, but he became a heading because he was one of the first near-exile prophets who was recognised, this is God's word. So the scriptures, I've got the word there, Tanakh. Tanakh, T-A-N-A-C-H, Tanakh. The Tanakh is what we call the law, writings, and the prophets. And the writings include all the poetry books. So Song of Solomon, Job, um, Psalms, those sort of books. The Jews, canonize, the word is canonised those books. And then after the exile, other books were added to it, including Zechariah, Malachi, Haggai. Those books were added. But they didn't have that before the exile. They didn't really care much for God's word before the exile as bizarre as that sounds so this happened as a result of the exile number two the priests couldn't perform ceremonial duties they couldn't perform sacrifices but what they could do is now write scripture down and this is where the scribe arose there were scribes before but they weren't priestly scribes they were people that were like secretaries to kings but now out of this period came this whole segment of society among the priests called the scribes, the priestly scribes. So when we read in the New Testament that the scribes and Pharisees, that's where it comes from. These are people who are experts in the law. In other, other ways of describing them are lawyers, 
Not, uh, Your Honour, I rest my case, but these are people who are expert in the law, which is also just the catch-all word for the Old Testament for a Jew. Thirdly, oh, and by the way, Ezra 7.11 says that Ezra was a scribe, expert, skilled in the, the word of God. So number three is the synagogue became the meeting place for Jewish worship. And the main part of worship was, synagogue means come together. Come together. That's what it means. Just simply that. Sin together. Come together. And they had to constitute at least 12 men. And they came together. And the main worship they did was open the scriptures and read the scriptures. That was the central part of a synagogue service. There were prayers. And then later there was songs developed as well but that happens so the synagogue so when we read that when Jesus came we read that there were synagogues scattered all over Israel which allowed him to preach to people in one place at one time God was setting up for the Messiah to come fourthly this might surprise you the Jews developed a theology of angels and demons not the Dan Brown book angels and demons in the sense that they got a revelation of archangels they got a revelation of the fact that there's a hierarchy of angels in heaven they didn't have that before they also got a revelation of the adversary you know what the the word for adversary is it's satan satan the word satan does not occur in the literature before the exile and you might go, oh, no, it does. It occurs in the book of Job. You weren't listening, were you? I just said that Job was put to text in the exile. And that's where Satan occurs in Job chapters 1 and 2. And it's also in Zechariah. So there's this understanding that there's God doing his bit and there's this understanding that came out of the exile that there's Satan trying to do everything he can to withstand what God's doing. And so then when Jesus begins his ministry... The first person he has to deal with after he's baptised is Satan. And then fifthly, the northern kingdom, the northern part of Israel, was settled by half Ephraimites. Oh yeah, they're going, what the heck word's that? The northern kingdom was known as Ephraim. And when the Assyrians came in a hundred and something years before Jerusalem was destroyed, they took away most of the people but left some. And those people then had other people come in and they interbred and their capital was Samaria. And they became known as Samaritans. So they're half Jewish, sorry, half Israelites. The word Jew, by the way, relates to the southern kingdom. Half Hebrew, half not. And that's why when... The Jews came back from the exile, back to Jerusalem. There's these people up here who are half Ephraimites. And they've intermarried with other people. And they're called Samaritans. That's why the Jews despised them. And all of this was set up for, for Jesus to come. Here's an important date that I had given last in our first session and that is 538 BC that's when Empress Cyrus decreed all Jews are free now to return home you can go back to your land and we read in the opening verse of Zechariah that in the second year of Darius in other words take two off that 536 BC that's when Zechariah began to write so Zechariah was among 
those who returned to Jerusalem from Babylon after this decree was given. And he was with another prophet, his name was Haggai, so we read Haggai, and he's talking about almost the same thing that Zechariah is talking about. That is, come on guys, let's get this temple rebuilt. Why? Because Zechariah was a priest. It's, within, it's in his interest to get this temple built. He needs a temple built, because that's how priests do their thing. But then God gets a hold of him. This is what it says. Not only do you need the temple rebuilt, you need Jerusalem rebuilt as well. This is what Zechariah 1.16. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. This is the opening chapter of Zechariah. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Verse 17, cry out again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, my city shall again overflow with prosperity and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Zechariah, so I want to give you just a quick sketch of what Zechariah says about the destiny of Jerusalem, what was to happen. And he said to him, run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. So at the time of Babylon conquering Judea and Jerusalem, the, the population of that part of the world is about 120,000 people. Just by the way, just get that. Zechariah 8 verse 3, Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion. Another, It's, a, it's actually a mountain just outside. Um, it's in Jerusalem. It's just near, the, near the, where the temple is. That's all we have time for tonight. For a CD copy or premium download of tonight's discussion, please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org, and select Zechariah Part 2 from our online store. As we've heard tonight, the Israelites needed encouragement to rebuild the temple, but the bricks and mortar were only part of what was really being built. Zechariah prophesied that the work of rebuilding the temple would be accomplished by the Messiah. More from Dr. Corbett next week as he continues with the prophet Zechariah. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.